Welcome to the Inclusive School Spotlight podcast series brought to you by the Educating All Learners Alliance and the Center for Learner Equity. The Inclusive School Spotlight series highlights schools that are using innovative and promising practices to improve learning opportunities and outcomes for students with disabilities. I'm your host, Cashay Owens, and today we will highlight tomorrow's Leadership Collaborative, also known as TLC Public Charter School, located in Orange County, California. TLC enrolls about 175 students in grades K through 6. 18% of those are students with disabilities. I'm fortunate to be joined by founding principal, Jessica Tunney, to talk about two practices that are essential to the school's educational approach, universal accommodations, and a co-teaching model. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so excited to learn more about the cool things that are happening at TLC. Um, so I would just love to hear from the start. Um, imagine I'm a prospective parent curious to learn more about TLC. Can you sort of paint us a picture of the school and describe what makes it a great place to learn? Sure, I'd be happy to do so. Um, I think with TLC, the kind of first and most important feature for parents to think about and know about our school is that we are a diverse by design school. So we're a model of inclusion. And as the model of inclusion, we are very intentional about making sure that our classrooms reflect the natural diversity in our community and in our world. So we have, as you mentioned, about 18% of our students have identified disabilities and have IEPs. And we skew towards students that who would have more significant support needs than what you'll see in a lot, of, a lot of other inclusive settings or a lot of other school settings. We also have 33% of our kids are English language learners, all Spanish, um, which reflects the community where we're located. About 56% of our students qualify for free and reduced price lunch, and so they'd be considered low income. Um, and so our classrooms, you know, they're very lively places filled <laughs> with children that, that bring all kinds of unique interests, needs, um, experiences, uh, strengths, challenges to the learning setting. And so, you know, our model of instruction with Universal Design for Learning as a kind of foundational feature really makes space for kids to be who they are. Um, it allows our teachers to meet everyone where they're at and help them identify their unique interests and passions and how to pursue those as learners is really kind of part of what we do. Um, I would say a couple other things parents should definitely know about TLC. One is that play matters to us. Um, oh. We're educating people. And so socio-emotional development, especially in primary grades, especially throughout elementary school, um, learning to make friends, learning to have a sense of community through play is really important. Um, and because we bring together kids who are often vulnerable for not having as many opportunities to make friends in school, we do a lot of work with guided play, structured play uh, with the kids at recess, at lunch, at PE, in the classroom, turn taking, these kinds of things. Um, and then I would just say finally, I think one of the things that's really unique about TLC and does make it a wonderful place to be and learn is that each child and each family is really known by us. Um, you know, we're a small school right now, 175 kids. We really believe that each child is a special learner. Um, we look for what's special about each child and we really focus on making sure that the families are brought into our learning community as well. So with so many English language learners and so many parents speaking only Spanish, almost all of our staff is bilingual. All of our meetings are conducted in English and Spanish. All of our notices are English and Spanish. 
Um, and we really actively seek out ways to connect and communicate. So it, it feels very family-like when you're on our sure. campus. Sure. It sounds like you're really focusing on the whole student and giving them a home away from home. Exactly. Um, Yes. I love that. I love that. So um, you mentioned that you really are a school that is designed to support all learners, um, particularly those that have been historically marginalized. And so um, with that, that big challenge to really create a a home away from home for all students. Can you talk about um, the ways that you that you sort of operationalize accommodations in your school and um, how you weave in inclusivity and, and accommodations into the school culture? Yeah, that's one of my favorite things to think about and strategize around and implement <laughs> with our teaching staff because it's a kind of always changing and moving, um, depending on who's in the room, how you accommodate their needs will shift, right? So, I mean, we kind of start with that premise that everybody deserves the opportunity to participate and engage. And then we look for the barriers that may be preventing some or several students um, from doing so. So, you know, it can come from kind of simple or what I think of as a simple thing. You know, we offer adaptive PE to everybody. So rather than having some students who need to go to a separate space for adaptive PE work, you know, it turns out that a lot of the kind of skills that are worked on for some students' goals are actually really useful for everybody. Um, And so one thing we do is we look for the universal opportunities for all students. You know, the occupational therapist could pull a small group in some settings of students to talk about how fast their engine is running and work on emotional uh, regulation, or you could really open up your mind and realize that all kindergartners would benefit from thinking about how fast their engine is running. So one thing we do is we just kind of offer accommodations to all as a general practice. Um, And then we get real specific where we lean in on things like languages, communication. So some kids, as I mentioned, some people here use Spanish, some people are nonverbal and use signs, some people use devices. Some people communicate primarily through their behaviors and some people use oral language. And so our classrooms are really filled with multiple opportunities to express yourself um, in ways that are best suited to you. And we don't limit students' opportunities or choices based on their known abilities. So a student who you know, often doesn't choose to use language, we still mm-hmm. offer them opportunities to do so. A student who is is very skilled at oral language will learn sign um, so that they can communicate with friends and peers and we kind of share the resources that we have with everyone. Right, right. It sounds like there's just so many opportunities to make sure that there's really a sense of belonging no matter who you are as a student, um, which I think is is so admirable and exciting to hear. Do you have a favorite success story of of how you've seen, um, you know, universal accommodations play out um, for the benefit of students? I mean, I do. I I think one of the things that I have a lens for that is really fun to watch is when students who are historically not considered experts or not considered leaders in the class due to various reasons, often ability-based, really have opportunities in this setting to be leaders for others and to be the experts. So there's, I was actually just thinking of it, there's a student who's been with us, this is our fourth year in operations, so he's been with us since we opened. He is now in fifth grade and He's a child who doesn't use oral language, um, isn't someone who 
necessarily in the in a traditional classroom would be featured as kind of a leader among others. He is one of the greatest um, and most enthusiastic sportsmen. (laughs) (laughs) And he's a really great soccer player. He's kind of a tough guy. So like as the ball hits him, it doesn't really, it rolls right off him. He's like totally fine. So I was in the main office just last week, actually. And there he was bringing in a neurotypical peer who had been playing soccer with him, who fell down and scraped his elbow. So then this child was the one who led him into the office to make sure he got his ice pack, to make sure that he was well taken care of in a total reversal of what you would see in another setting where um, the child who in this instance was the leader is, would almost always be a person that other people think they need to take care of. Um, And so I think to me, those are the kinds of stories on campus that really excite me because it gives kids a chance to kind of see what is important and valuable about people who are often kind of overlooked as having strengths. Right. Wow. What a powerful story. And to see sort of that um, typical narrative flipped on its head. um, Those are the stories that we love to hear about, um, you know, from these innovative practices. And I know another um, practice that TLC really leverages is the co-teaching model in every classroom. Um, You know, we know from research that co-teaching can be a really effective strategy for supporting students with disabilities, but it definitely depends on how well this is implemented. And so would love to hear what co-teaching looks like at TLC um, and, and just hear more about that. Great. Um, yeah, so co-teaching is foundational to our school. And I think um, it's one of the features of our school that allows us to implement these practices um, of really working to accommodate all students, making sure we know all students. You know, it takes a lot of planning and preparation to make this feel seamless when you're on campus. So we have co-teachers assigned to every classroom. Every classroom we have on campus is general education and there are two teachers assigned. There's a general education teacher who's in the classroom at all times, all day. And there's a special education co-teacher that shares two to three classrooms at a time um, and is in each of their shared classrooms, approximately one period of one learning block a day, depending on the schedule and the needs of the kids. Um, What I think is most important to our model that I wanna make sure to highlight is that we structure in from the foundation time, expectations, and opportunities for co-teachers to Mm -hmm. co-plan, to collaborate, and to co-teach. So the co-teaching schedule is sacred in many ways and isn't something to drop because you got busy. The co-teaching schedule is, is fundamental to the kids seeing both teachers in the classroom as their own teacher. And so reliability has a lot to do with that. Um, Co-teaching teams plan for approximately two hours a week to make sure that all the lessons are pre-accommodated, universally designed, addressing the needs of the learners in the classroom, whether or not the ed specialist is in the room or not. Um, And then we also have them co-teaching, which matters quite a bit to have each of the teachers using their expertise and knowledge with their instructional practices in the classroom with the kids frequently. Um, That really makes it feel like there's two teachers in the room, even when only one is physically in the space with them throughout the day. Sure, sure. Do you have a a specific co-teaching pair in mind that just um, comes to the forefront as a great example of of this um, meaningful collaboration? 
I do. I mean, I will admit, I think they're all great coaches. (laughs) Of course, of course. (laughs) Not going to not say that, but there is a pair um, that did a lot of work themselves with figuring out how to best structure their planning time that I've been really impressed with. Um, And this is a first grade team that we have. And so there's two general education teachers actually, and one ed specialist that shares those rooms. And so actually it's more than a pair, it's a triad that has worked out some really interesting systems. So they have a very well-developed protocol for their weekly planning where they start on a Monday and they do a brief 30 minute meeting and the gen ed teachers bring the content standards that they'll be addressing during the week and the ed specialist brings knowledge and um, expertise and the kinds of accommodations that the kids across the two classrooms will need. And they meet throughout the week two or three times to make sure they plan um, for each of the lessons and each of the kids and the co-teaching structures that will allow them to meet everybody's needs. And then they share their preparation across the two classrooms. Um, And they often share groupings, which is what I think has been really useful. So in a first grade classroom, reading is a really big component of the instructional day and and leveled reading is something that is important to have happen periodically. So because we have these really diverse classrooms, we have a huge range of skill and benchmark performance um, among students in terms of like traditional benchmarks for reading. So they often divide up the kids across two classrooms into these three groups. And then the teaching staff rotates which of the groups they're working with to make sure that they meet all of the students' needs in a kind of pair uh, equitable manner where it's not just the ed specialist working with students who are struggling. It's really all teachers are filtering through to make sure that they're each as knowledgeable as possible of each student's need. And that feeds right back into planning. That feeds right back into the kinds of activities that they then offer the students across the classrooms. And it feels seamless to the kids when they're in their groups. Right, right. Yeah, there's there's that firsthand um, observation of yeah. the students from all teachers um, instead of sort of relying on on your colleagues to, to share that. Um, I could see how that information sharing just would really make things flow. Um, yeah. And the student is none the wiser, right? <laughs> the <whole time. laughs> just they have lots of people that want to work with them. <laughs> which yes, is they just, yes, they just think everybody's there to, to support them, which is what we want, right? So, <laughs> um, so I love to hear that. So these are two, just two of, I'm sure, many um, examples of how TLC is innovating. And I know that there's going to be other school leaders out there listening who think, wow, gee, this sounds really amazing. How can I do this at my school? Um, so what advice would you give to other school leaders who want to maybe implement school-wide co-teaching or universal accommodations? Um, and, and what are some resources or supports that they might need along the way? That's a really important question um, because I think there's quite often a lot of goodwill and intent to do co-teaching and inclusive schooling. And there's just lots of barriers within the system to making that happen. Um, So I think kind of right off the bat, as a school leader, there's a lot of creative freedom to build in the structures for collaboration, co-planning and co-teaching that matter. Um, And so while it's not necessarily seen and modeled (laughs) across many schools, As a leader, you know, we have a lot of flexibility in determining what happens if you have a weekly early out day, which we do, and our professional development is then focused on co-teaching. We have our expectation that co-teaching teams plan together weekly, and we have accountability for that. Um, We do a daily debrief with each uh, teaching 
grade span team and their support staff after school for just 15 minutes a day with a very structured protocol that really allows information sharing, um, strategy development, collaborative problem solving among the adults in the school. So I think right off the bat as a school leader or administrator, really building in the time and the focus that your teaching staff needs to be Mm -hmm. able to offer this kind of education is really important. And then I think walking hand in hand with the staff to look at the systemic barriers that they're encountering and address those. So service delivery models are often not aligned with inclusive educational structures. And so there's a real strain there for the teaching staff and the ed specialists of trying to figure out how to make it work. So I think that helping the staff address the natural barriers that exist in the systems of education um, as a school leader is a really important thing to do. Um, And then making sure that there's time and direction and specification of what we're going for and how we're going to get there. Um, You know, and then just in terms of resources, you know, there's a lot of resources for co-teaching and inclusive education out there, but I think Um, So I think one is to like pick your favorites and go with it. You know, I was trained on the Maryland friend models of co-teaching. And so I use those now, but they're, they're not exclusive to what kinds of approaches we could take. I think being in the inquiry together in an ongoing manner is what's really most important. And there's a huge amount of opportunity that leaders are offered um, to be able to really help teachers take on the notion that inclusion is a process, that that we are all engaged in exploring what these kids need and how to provide them um, with it. And so, you know, pull on the resources that you like and have an affinity for as needed. Um, Universities Mm -hmm. are often helpful, but not always. Sometimes we're teaching them, you know, so I think but just being in the inquiry of inclusion and, and acknowledging the reality of the challenges and then meeting those challenges with energy and love, I think uh, is something a leader can do that makes a big impact for their staff. Right, right. Yeah, I I really appreciate all of that. I, I think I would have loved to be a student at TLC if I could <laughs> go back in time. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing a bit about your school with us. Um, I know that there's going to be a lot of folks out there who are, are leaving this episode inspired and wanting to dig in and, and learn more. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jessica. And thank you all out there who are listening to the Inclusive Schools Spotlight Series. Again, this podcast is brought to you by the Educating All Learners Alliance and the Center for Learner Equity. For more resources and practical approaches that educators can use to enhance opportunities and outcomes for students with disabilities, go ahead and check out the Educating All Learners Alliance resource library by visiting educatingalllearners.org and clicking the resources tab. To learn more about the work of the Center for Learner Equity, you can head over to centerforlearnerequity.org. Jessica, again, thank you so much. I hope that folks will um, look up TLC and and learn more. And I just really appreciate you sharing your uh, wisdom and expertise with us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here and I appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate it. And please join us for the other episodes in this series where you will learn from more um, innovative school leaders across the country. Thank you so much. 